Well, hey, I am glad you are back for week two of our series, To Gather, and uh, it's a short series, last week, this week, and next week, but I think it is very important for us to talk about what it means for us to gather as a church, what it looks like for us to gather as a church, because one of the things that we really hammered on last week, and if you didn't get to see that, go back to the website and watch week one, but one of the things we really hammered on is that gathering is essential to who we are as a follower of Jesus. You know, the models for gathering may look different in different periods of history at different parts of the world, but the one thing that the church has always had in common is that the church gathers. Gathering is a part of who we are. Gathering is at the core of what we do. Matter of fact, we said it this way last week that we are the church, right? We know that. It's not a building. We are the church, but we can't be the church on our own. So we gather, we come together, and we come together, yes, for worship, we talked about that a little bit, but really, outside of just that morning worship service, we gather for growth, we gather for encouragement, and we gather for mission. Last week, we talked about what it looked like for us to gather in circles for growth. Next week, we're going to look at what it looks like for us to gather shoulder to shoulder as we live lives on mission, but today I want to spend a few minutes talking about what does it look like for us to gather for encouragement. And it just starts right there. The problems come up because there's a big problem when we say we gather for encouragement. And that problem is that it seems like anymore we misunderstand what encouragement is. Like if I was to you know, ask you what it looked like for you to encourage someone, you may say something like, well, I'm going to tell them they're awesome. I'm going to tell them they're doing a great job. I'm going to tell them they're knocking it out of the park. But I think that's a misunderstanding of what encouragement is. Encouragement is not, you're awesome. That is praise. That is celebratory. That is, hey, you are awesome. You are crushing it. You are knocking out of the park. But that is not encouragement. And I think that the reason our idea of encouragement has shifted that way is because we live in a world where it just feels like if something is not an affirmation, it's just not tolerated anymore. Like if what you say is not affirming of someone and what they're doing, then you're just kind of cut out or, or it's brushed off. It's just not tolerated. And really, we've come to the place where we can make anything uh, be celebrated, anything be praised. Matter of fact, it reminds me of a story back when I played baseball in college. I wasn't very good. I didn't play at a real college. I played semi-college baseball. We were a non-scholarship Christian school. And I'll never forget... I was pitching in Tampa one day in a fall game during our fall season. Well, what made that game memorable is that both of my parents and all four of my grandparents came down there to watch me pitch. And for two of my grandparents, my mom's parents, it was the first time they'd ever seen me play baseball. They'd never seen me play from t-ball to little league to high school. And now they're coming to watch me play for the first and only time in college. And let me just say... It wasn't my best day. I didn't, I didn't pitch really well. So about three innings in, having given up four runs and a lot of hard hits, I get pulled away. And it's only later that day that, that I find out how just encouraging my grandma was in the stand. So she had never seen me play, and she didn't understand much about baseball. And so she leans over to my dad and says, at one point during this game, when I'm getting hit pretty hard, she goes, you know what? Chip is just such a better pitcher than that other guy. 
and my dad, knowing that I've given up four runs, the other guy hasn't given up much of a hit, says, how do you figure that? My grandma looks at him and says, he's throwing it right down the middle where they can hit it every time. <laughs> That's encouragement. I guess we can turn anything into encouragement, but the truth is that's not encouragement. Encouragement isn't all about how awesome you are and how good you're doing. And I think what makes that difficult to hear is that what we live in today is a world that's much like an echo chamber where everything that we surround ourselves with through the algorithms on social media to the people that we choose to hang out with is really just reinforcing that idea that you're awesome, you've got this, you're crushing. It. Now, I understand why we do that. It's because none of us likes to be told that we're not perfect. None of us likes to be told that we're not there yet. And that's why we seek after praise instead of encouragement. But here's something that, that I think you need to hear. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you have already admitted you're not perfect. The way that we become a follower of Jesus is when we say, look, I can't do this. Look, on my own, I'm not sufficient. I need Jesus to do for me what I can never do for myself, namely to save me from my sins. And so as a follower of Jesus, you've already admitted that you're not perfect. So my question is, why is it so hard for us to continue that? To continue the realization that it's not just praise that we need, even though there's time when that's appropriate, but it's encouragement we need. It's real biblical encouragement. Well, what is encouragement? It's not you're awesome. Encouragement is you can do better. You can be better. But I think when we hear that, we tend to hear criticism. But that's what I want to show you today. The idea that you're awesome is not encouragement. And the idea that you can do better actually is. And I think this is so important because without properly understanding encouragement and what it is, instead, without gathering with people in our lives who can give us that encouragement, our spiritual growth is just going to become stale and stagnant. So even if you're doing what we talked about last week and gathering in groups, if you don't understand biblical encouragement, you run the danger of those groups just becoming baptized hangout sessions with your friends. So let's jump into the scriptures this morning. Let's look at what real biblical encouragement is. Uh, and we see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you got your Bible, start in the front, go right, you'll get there. Start in the back, go left, you'll get there a whole lot quicker. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 1, and this is what we read. It says, about the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you don't need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come on them, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. For this day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness, so then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Now, I know 
if you're reading that with me, or maybe even just listening to me read that, halfway through, you're thinking, is he reading the wrong passage? I, I thought we were talking about encouragement, not the end of times, not the day of the Lord, not light and darkness, awake and asleep. Aren't we talking about encouragement? Well, yeah, we are. That, that's what we're talking about. And I think you see that very clearly there in verse 11, where he says, therefore, hey, based on all of this, I just told you, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. See, what's happening here is this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica. It's a church that Paul had seen from birth and began to grow, and he's writing to encourage them. And what Paul does here is in this paragraph, towards the end of this little letter, he says, hey, you need to be encouraged, and here's why you need to be encouraged. And what he says is this, the reason why we need to be encouraged, what he told the Thessalonians here, why we need to be encouraged is because we know the truth, but we're prone to wander away from it. Did you catch that in the passage that we read? He started out actually by saying in verse 1, brothers and sisters, you don't need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know. And then he goes on. What he's saying is, hey, everything I've told you so far, you already know. You've already heard. Well, then why is he telling them again? If he says you don't need me to write this to you, why is he writing it to them? Well, he's doing it because even though they knew the truth, they knew what it looked like to follow Jesus. They knew that they were to live differently than the world around them. They had a hard time living that out. They wandered away from it. And here's the thing. As a follower of Jesus, as a believer, you are going to be tempted in your life to look and live like an unbeliever. I don't know where that's going to come from. I don't know what that's going to look like. I think it's totally fair to say that we are all tempted in different ways and we all prone to wander in different ways. But no matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, what you've never done, there's going to come a moment in your life where you are going to be tempted to wander away from the truth that you know. You're going to be tempted as a follower of Jesus to live just like everybody else. And when that temptation comes, when that moment arises, what you need is most likely not new information. You don't need somebody to come and tell you, oh, don't do that, that's wrong. Don't do that, that's against Scripture. Don't do that, that's not how God has designed you or your marriage or your job or whatever to work. You probably don't need somebody to tell you that because in your head and in your heart you know that, but in the moment you're still prone to wonder. See, what we need in those moments when we are prone to wander away is most likely not new information. What we need is strong encouragement to live as followers of Jesus, filled with his spirit, according to the truth that we already know. Now listen, I'm not saying that there is never a time when an ignorance of something does not lead you to make the wrong decision. I get that. There are things that we don't know and we won't know until we see Jesus face to face. But what I am saying is that if you'll be really honest with yourselves, most of the dumb decisions you make in your life, you already knew they were going to be dumb decisions. Most of the sin in your life, you knew was sin, but you went ahead with it anyway. See, these Thessalonians knew what the character of the Christian life they were trying to live looked like. They knew it, but knowing and doing are two different things. And that is why 
we need people in our lives to encourage us. To let us know, hey, this is the truth that you know. Just like Paul told the Thessalonians, you know these things. Now live up to them. You know these things. Now hold fast to what you know. You and I need people in our lives who can do that for us. Matter of fact, let's just kind of keep going with that idea and look there again in verse 11, and it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Those words, encourage one another and build each other up, uh, those are two different words that are pretty unique in how we understand them. Uh, The word encouragement in the Greek that Paul was writing is the word parakaleo, and it literally means not encourage, that's how we translate it, it literally means to come alongside of, to help. And that's what encouragement is. Encouragement is somebody who comes alongside of you to help you live what you know you should. It's somebody who comes alongside of you to help in your time of need. But really, I think what's even more interesting than that is not that the word literally means to come alongside of or to give help, but there is someone in the scripture that actually bears the title of helper, translated paraclete. Okay? So the word for encourage, parakaleo, there's somebody in scripture called paraclete. That person is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is given the name or the title paraclete because he is the one who comes alongside of us and helps us in our need. He is the ultimate encourager. And how does the Holy Spirit encourage us? Not just by patting us on the back and telling us we're awesome, but by convicting us of sin, by pointing us back to the direction that we should be headed. And here's what I think is so awesome. When we do this for others, we are able to help live out the work of the Spirit in our lives by being a paraclete, an encourager to the people that God has placed around us. But that other word, to build each other up, that word literally means to build a house. And so as we encourage each other, As we get face-to-face with each other and say, hey, I think you can do better here. I think you're kind of wandering from the path. Let's get back on the path. As we do that, that's how we build the church. The way that we build the church is through encouragement. But not praise, not criticism, biblical encouragement. And I think that we've got to get to the place where we understand that this encouragement which can feel like criticism and is far short of the praise that we crave, that this encouragement really does come from a place of love, not a place of judgment. You know, I think anytime someone tells us that we can do better, we take that personally, don't we? We feel judged. What, am I not good enough? Am I not doing enough? You know, and we feel that not enoughness. But I think that, that we need to kind of lower that wall a little bit and understand that when this is done the right way, when this is done biblically, that that encouragement comes out of a place of love, not a place of judgment. Well, let me show you again why I think this is very clear. It's right here in 1 Thessalonians. If we were to go back just a couple chapters to chapter 2, this is what Paul tells the Thessalonian church in chapter 2, verse 11. He says, As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, And implored each one of you to do what? To walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul says, hey guys, 
I'm encouraging you now, and I encouraged you before, and I encouraged you like a father does his children. And he draws that picture of a father encouraging his kids, not out of judgment, but out of love. And you may think, well, that's an interesting picture, but it doesn't mean much. Yeah, it does. It means a ton. Because Paul's not the only one to use that picture of a father encouraging his son. Matter of fact, that's something that God uses to speak of how he deals with us. Let me point you to another passage. This is Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 5. It says this, And you have forgotten the exhortation that is dressed as you as sons, My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, man, what a strong picture. Is is that God is as a father would his son, disciplining us, correcting us, encouraging us. Hey, you can do better. You can be better. And really, this is what fathers are supposed to do. Now, let me just stop and say supposed to do, because I know not all of you have had a father like that in your life. Maybe you've not had a father at all in your life. But this is how God designed a father to be, even though so many fall far short. Why? Because this is how God himself is as a father. A father is someone who who can be honest with us, even when that honesty hurts. Why can they be honest? Because we know they love us unconditionally. Our father is someone who is supposed to remind us of who we are and where we come from. A father is someone who pushes us to be and do better than we ever thought we could. That's encouragement. Encouragement is honest. Encouragement is a reminder of who we are, and encouragement pushes us to do and be better. The problem is, we still don't want it. We don't want that heavenly Father who by His Spirit encourages us, much less other people in our life to encourage us. I love what I was reading this week by C.S. Lewis. This is what he said, He said, we want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven. A senile benevolence who, as they say, like to see young people enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be said at the end of the day, a good time was had by all. Man, that's some strong sarcasm there. But it hits home, doesn't it? What do we want in a heavenly father? Do we want somebody who is going to encourage us, convict us, and show us where we're not there yet? Or do we want a heavenly grandfather who's just happy that we stopped by for a visit? I think if we're honest with ourselves, that's a really hard question. But here's what I want you to encourage you with. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus not only commands us and calls us to do and be better, but he also is the one who empowers us to do and be better. 
That same spirit that encourages us, the paraclete, is also the spirit that empowers us. Scriptures clearly say that it is he who is at work in us both to will and to work. He is creating within us that desire to not shun away from that biblical encouragement, but to lean into it so that we might grow. And here's the thing, that growth might not happen overnight. But if and when we keep following Jesus, it will happen. It will happen. And I think, man, that's the, that's the fear that's at the heart of why we shy away from real encouragement, not just from God and the Spirit, but but from others in our lives, is because I think deep down we're afraid that we're not going to get there. Deep down we're afraid that we can't do better. Deep down we're afraid that if we try, we're still going to fail. And that's why the gospel is such good news, because the gospel is clear that when God calls us to something, he empowers us to that thing. And yes, you might fall on your face, and yes, you might not be perfect, but you can do better. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives within you, and he can do better through you. That's why this is encouragement and not criticism. God sees more in you than you probably see in yourself. And that's why a great place for us to leave this today is the reminder that encouragement starts with showing up. Now, it doesn't end there. There's more to it. But encouragement starts by showing up. Yes, by showing up in a worship service on a Sunday morning, 100% but also by showing up in that circle that we talked about last week, those people in your life that you can gather with for growth. Because here's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm so glad that you're watching this online, and I'm so glad that we're able to help uh, equip you and, as you are trying to follow Jesus. But, but I just got to be honest with you. When you aren't in the room, you aren't able to really be encouraged. I mean, I can do it somewhat through, through, through your screen, but it's not the same. When you're not in the room, you can't really be encouraged. And I don't just mean the worship service room. I mean that room of a circle with those people in your life. But more than that, if you're not in the room, you definitely can't encourage someone else. And that's why I think it's good to be reminded, yes, you need to be in the room so that you can be encouraged, but that's only half of it. You need to be in those rooms so that you can be an encourager because you are called to do that for people that God has placed in your life. And maybe, maybe that's tough for you to deal with. Maybe you say, Chip, I've been in the room and I didn't get encouraged. Chip, I've been in the room and nobody reached out to me. Chip, I've been in the room and, and it still wasn't any different. That's why I'm here now. Let me just tell you this. Like I heard a preacher say one time. says, look, I can't promise it's going to rain. But I can promise if you stay inside, you're not going to get wet. Why am I saying that? Look, I, I can't promise you that everything is going to work out perfectly in your life as you try to gather with others. But what I can promise you is that if you don't gather with others, this isn't going to happen. All you can really do is put yourself in position. That's why encouragement starts when we show up. Let me end by leaving you with this quote by my favorite pastor, Charles Spurgeon. This is what he said. Talking of encouragement, he says, The more of this, the better. 
Christian people should constantly converse with one another for mutual edification. Encouragement should not be an intermittent occurrence, but a daily occupation, and it should be an ever-increasing occupation in view of the fact that each day draws us one day closer to the return of Christ. Hey, let's gather. Let's gather not just once a week. Let's gather as often as we can. And when we gather, let's be an encouragement, and let's look for the encouragement we need because Jesus is coming soon. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for the time to be together and to talk about this idea of encouragement and how it's so easy for us to miss. But God, I pray that today our eyes would be open to our need for encouragement in our lives. Not not just new knowledge or new teaching, but just encouragement, reminders of who we are and what we've been called to do by your Spirit. And so God, I pray that we would find that encouragement from people in our lives that we can gather with, and that as we gather, we may be an encourager to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.